Hi, everyone. This is TJ and Ashley. Welcome to another episode of Season 3 of All Learners Network, or ALN, Math Talk. Math Talk is where we answer your questions about online lessons, math learning, and the meaning of math. Please help us spread our All Learners mission, which is cultivating a community of educators that promote math equity and inclusion for all students. Please check out our website at alllearnersnetwork.com for free resources and amazing Math PD opportunities under the Events tab. We are recording this in December of 2022. Today, we are joined by Deborah Pert from Florida. She is the CEO of My Mathematical Mind and the instigator of the Mather Movement. Welcome, Deborah. Hi, how are you guys doing? You're great. So We're good. To great. Have so <laughs> tell us a little bit about your background in education, your kind of your math journey. How did you end up where you are today doing what you're doing? Okay, that's an interesting story. Uh, when people hear that I'm a mathematician, they assume that I was the kid who went through all the math courses and took all high level mathematics and AP math and, and all those things. That is not me. I did not do any of those things because actually in fourth grade, and I remember it because the only bully I ever had in elementary school was my fourth grade teacher. And I remember her shutting me down anytime I asked questions. And when I look back, I think about um, the questions I was asking. She probably didn't know the answer to, no offense to her, but I was asking those why questions and will this always work? And I was just so curious, but I was one of very few children of color, students of color. Um, and she called me names. She would say, little Miss Smarty Pants have another question. Oh, gosh, grandma's asking a question because I wore my little glasses. So she was mean. She was just mean. So it was safer to just not ask questions in math class. And that was the lesson I took with me all the way through. And I asked a question again in. I thought, I'll try it again in algebra. I was in seventh grade taking algebra. I asked my questions about where we see it in the world. And he threatened to send me to the principal's office. Okay, asking questions equals bad. <laughs> so needless to say, I was already trying to opt out, but making straight A's the entire time. So doing well at mathematics, but on that surface level, I was a rule follower. I can do the things. I was absolutely intelligent enough to handle it, as most are. But then for me, geometry. I had a teacher who assumed I had to be cheating because there was no way that, again, the one black student in the class could be doing so well in her class. And I never asked questions and I didn't really participate much. But I knew it. I loved geometry. It was actually one of my favorites. And after she sat on my desk to watch me take a test and make sure I wasn't cheating, I headed down to the guidance counselor's office and asked, when could I stop taking math and still graduate with honors? When can I stop taking math and still get the special New York Regents diploma? Because I'm originally from New York. And she said, after trigonometry, you can be done. She didn't try to stop me. She didn't try to discourage me. Straight A's in everything. And I said, great. And the only thing that made it worse is 
that my trigonometry teacher never showed up because he had a freak accident Labor Day weekend and we had subbed the entire year. So for me, trigonometry was my last high school course taught by packets and tests. And in college, I wanted a major that didn't involve lots of math. (laughs) That was my goal. It was what I wanted. Uh, But my parents wanted me to be pre-med. There's too much math. I don't want to do it. Um, I'm not doing it. So that's the background to it. So I was all in with literacy. My undergraduate degree, speech communications and literacy. My master's degree with an educational studies with a concentration in literacy. But that last elective was a math methods course. And I just took it because why not? And I finally got all my questions answered. And I fell in love with it. I understood. I It made sense. And then I was angry. Why are we not telling the children why? So that was a pivotal moment for me. And it changed everything for how I taught math. Um, I went to my first NCTM conference. I partnered with one other person on the campus who she's actually my business partner today. And this was years ago, like maybe 20 years ago. Um, and yes, I know. You're probably thinking, how could that be possible? But <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but we decided to just build a community. We hosted math parties for teachers and their families and tried. They were not trying to hear it, but we made a difference. And I went back to grad school so that I could actually focus on elementary mathematics there wasn't a master's because I was just going to get a second master's. So I just did, um, I got special permission to do just some endorsements in elementary mathematics and teacher development. And that's how I met the person who introduced me to illustrative mathematics. I know it's a long story, but it's all relevant. Yeah. Um, and I, I ended up becoming a part of the writing team for the K-5 project. And that's where I met Kanika and Dion, and we started Black Women Rock Math because we were making history by being three Black women on a curriculum writing team. Mm -hmm. And we started speaking at conferences, and, you know, it kind of took off from there. So for as far as my journey, the only piece I didn't share, which it doesn't fit in sequentially, but it is relative as well, is that I went through yoga training, mindfulness training, and developed what I call a mindful approach to mathematics because of the anxiety and the trauma. And it made such a huge difference. I actually started doing workshops and training and it was, I love that work. I love it so much. To, to me, you're, as you're you're telling your story, all the big word that's like flashing in my head is perseverance. Like you are the definition of perseverance because how many kids have had similar experiences to you and, and maybe didn't get the good grades, right? And so they're being discouraged. They're not getting good grades. And, and, and so you, you run from math. It's, it's really... Mm-hmm sad so kudos to you for having that perseverance to stick with it and i feel like there was there had to be some you know universal pull to pull you back to math too since you ran from mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely and and i have to thank my 
Caribbean parents who did not accept anything less than A ever at all. Uh, so much so that my friends didn't know it was not cool to be smart. And I was a captain of the cheerleading team. I couldn't be smart, right? I couldn't be someone who does well in math, all the stereotypes. So I had two identities. I was not only code switching as a melanated woman, but also I was playing the game of grades. Who wants to do well? And yes, mother. Yes, father. I have A's. <laughs> so wow. I was, you know, just duality. That's another word that describes my journey is duality. So Deborah, what I, you know, I'm super excited to be talking with you because my biggest interest is in this idea of belonging. My background is as a classroom teacher, and then I became a math coach, and I have a similar story excluded from math class and set on a track when I, from a sixth grader all the way on until I decided to go back to school for my master's in elementary math. And what I hear in your story is this element of it's not even just, it's not even exclusion. I don't know what the op, a good word for the opposite of belonging is, but it's like okay. maybe isolation or loneliness um, that I think a lot of us have experienced in the math classroom. And I know that you do a lot of work to promote belonging in the classroom. And I'm wondering if you want to talk, I, I can see why now that I know that your story yeah. <laughs> and how important that is to you, but so talk to me about how, about your work today. Like, how do you see the importance of belonging fitting in for our students and for our teachers? I, I think that's everything. You know, you, you can't learn if you are sitting in a classroom in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel safe, if you don't believe your teacher believes in you, if your teacher is using deficit language and focusing on what you can't do. If your teacher, your peers, your neighbors, whoever it is around you believes that people who look like you don't belong in a math space, the decisions that people make for six and seven year olds around how they talk about math and whether or not they belong there impacts their life trajectories. Mm -hmm. They make different choices. Like I did, I made a different choice, but it wasn't a choice as extreme as I can't ever go to college because I'm not good at math or I know I'm not good at math, so I could never pursue, insert any STEM field, anything here. And then there, that carries also the message that people who look like me, I'm, I, I'm putting it on myself now at this point, people who look like me can't be doctors, engineers, all those things. And it's about understanding math is, is that thing that could help you understand that something is hard, but if you don't give up and you persevere, you can do it. You can do it to a certain degree. I don't think it should be so absolute. Either you're on the track to take calculus and beyond and be a great mathematician, or you don't get to do math. And that's ridiculous because mm -hmm. as essential as reading and writing is, also is math. <laughs> so we need to help people understand. And that's why I coined the term mather, because if I get to be a mather, no matter my grades or the test, always, it's okay that I don't want to be a mathematician. Hey, I love it. I even do the blur. 
I know. Wait, 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 wait. I know which one you got. Um, it matters. The language we use to talk about it matters, and and the culture around who belongs is it's unfortunately it's tied into this whole system of oppression and who is in power because math was originally only for the elite. So the gatekeeping culture of mathematics was there from the beginning. That was the by design. Mm -hmm. What is your, um, you know, what are your thoughts on, I feel like a lot of the work we do at All Learners Network, our whole mission is around creating this network for teachers to, to feel a place where they feel like they belong. And to see that there are, they have a support system. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm going to make an assumption that your pre-service teaching experience was similar to mine as an elementary educator, where it was highly focused on literacy and not focused on the math. I think it was like a four to one ratio of classes. Um, And then we asked that question, why do, why do elementary teachers have that anxiety? And, And what, you know, I feel like so much work we do with teachers is is helping them to unlearn those the the negative self-talk that they give themselves about about not belonging. Like, oh, the secondary yep. teachers are the math people. We yep. just and it's like some of our most complex math understanding develops in pre-K five. Right? I'm holding back because yes, absolutely. And I actually I was just, you know, preparing for this time with you all. I went back and I'm, you know, looking at some of the things I've written and one of my blogs was specifically about that. How do we honor elementary math educators? How do we get them the respect they deserve? Because, to, you know, to answer your question, one part of that is they don't feel a sense of belonging because mm-hmm. elementary math educators are not seen as real math yeah. educators, mm-hmm. real math so there's that, and in the blog, and I'll I'll share that with you. If you yeah, I'd love to read it. I would really love to read it. Yes, because I'm I'm basically saying the level of intellect and work involved in understanding how children learn mathematics and learning trajectories and being able to teach those foundational skills. A building can't stand without the firm foundation. Mm-hmm. So I say that elementary educators are foundation architects like foundation engineers, because if you want a really tall building, you need a deeper and wider, a more stable foundation. Mm. And without it, all of that high level mathematics will fall apart, which is why you have students who were doing well because they were great memorizers and rule followers. And then when they're pushed to show how they understand, they don't, Mm. They, they really don't. So I think a part of it is the culture and the lack of respect for elementary math educators. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is, I'm just, I don't know the percentage, but I'm sure it's available if we wanted to find it, of the number of elementary educators who chose elementary to avoid mathematics, because it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just elementary math, I can do that. But the problem is, as a generalist, you get to lean into the thing you love most as much as you want to. No matter what that schedule says, you can actually teach it with different energy. I remember, oh my gosh, where are my readers? We're so excited. And then math class, even for me. Okay, turn to page 57. They're about to do math. 
It's a shift in energy, confidence, all of those things. And you'd be proud to know that I'm on the same page with you. Guess what I'm doing for my doctoral work? What? The work that I'm doing it is in um, program development and innovation, and I am working to create a program and a combination online in like workshops, but courses for elementary educators to support them first in healing from their math traumas, mm -hmm. dealing with math anxiety, mm -hmm. having a sense of belonging, because as coaches, sometimes we think we'll just make sure we build their content knowledge. Well, good luck building the content knowledge with teachers who have not acknowledged that they actually have trauma. Right. That like you got to get through the shame barrier before you can learn. Right. Yes. yes. And you said the word shame. If you are ashamed, you believe you are broken and that something's yes. wrong with you. So working hard isn't going to make a difference. So actually developing a program for teachers to see it, to acknowledge it, to face it and turn away from it, to replace it, rewrite that narrative, rewire the brain to replace those negative experiences with positive ones. Yes. Because they can't share that with students if they haven't resolved it for themselves. And it, and right. actually they project the anxiety onto the students and continue the stereotypes. So yeah. And well and we can't just blame elementary educators for not being equipped to teach math well because like you both said and i'll add my story uh just a snippet is i i did my master's degree in education i got two masters uh two certifications and i didn't take one class on how to teach math you know and i get i get in and i'm responsible for students and i'm this is this is insane i i, I don't know how to teach math well so i think mm -hmm. What we need to focus on is how do we support and invest in teachers and how mm -hmm. do we develop teachers' ability to teach math well? And that that takes time. It's it's yep. not just a one class or a one article or a one book. Like it's yes. a time and it's lots and lots ongoing things that you have to do. Mm -hmm. And I when I do a workshop called um coaching the math anxious teacher, and we talk about teachers first have to experience have to have comfort they have to feel comfortable they have to acknowledge they have to feel like okay i'm okay my trauma is real my anxiety is real i don't even know that i have it but it's real so that's first once you get past that then you can go to the content knowledge then you can go to building confidence oh my gosh i actually do understand it then from confidence you can get to collaboration we're trying to force people to collaborate who have not been supported and I didn't have any math courses. Remember my math methods course, that was an elective. So I hadn't had any. And then even being supported with understanding how children learn mathematics, that wasn't the focus. I, I don't appreciate that I'm expected to take math courses for me, meaning I'm required to take high level mathematics to teach elementary mathematics, but I don't have to take a course that helps me understand how to teach mathematics. Because me being able to do calculus does not mean that I could teach counting. I need to understand that. And there, there was not a course like that at all when I was coming up. And there's so much more now, but you have to go find it. 
You have to mm-hmm. seek it out. Um, I know Mount Holyoke's program is, is one that I was so excited to hear about and I work with them and I, I'm just going through the book, preparing to, to facilitate. I'm like, this is amazing. Teachers need this. But the teachers already in the classroom don't know it's out there or they're ashamed, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. and they're not looking for it. So that's a part of what I want to do is make it so that it's something that is readily available, that teachers have options. You can do it in your own time. It could be asynchronous. It could be, I just want to develop a thing that is not read a book. Because if you're overwhelmed in the classroom, you tend to not have time to read a book, but maybe you could do a 15 minute something online. And I don't know, I'm at the beginning. I only finished my first semester, but I'm really excited about incorporating those things to help us help teachers. Well, and I think it relates back to that idea of of the humanizing experience of mathematics when all of us, I, I shouldn't generalize to all, but many of us learned as mimicking memorizers procedure. And so part of it is is breaking down that shame piece, the idea of I don't know what I don't know, but then also that idea that the way that I learned something is actually disrupting my ability to learn new things. And all of that unlearning process has to happen. And we have to provide those opportunities for teachers, which in a climate when there's no time and everything is stressful, I love that your approach is thinking about meeting the teachers where they're at too, because it's going to be a pretty vulnerable place that our Mm -hmm. our teachers are in to break down all those barriers that Mm -hmm. that they're experiencing. Yeah. And something that people can do now, what my partner Adrian and I did when I said we hosted math parties, we would actually get, get a budget, get some food and drinks, and we would solve fourth grade and fifth grade problems because we were moving to Singapore mathematics, which was scary for everyone. And, you know, they, they would just put an X through the word problems. No, my kids can't do this. This is too hard. Like just, but children who had come on that, pro- who had come along on that program could do that by fourth grade. So we rallied, we got some, but some didn't want to attend. And we just solved those problems and we were vulnerable together and we were laughing about it. And my favorite example from that experience would be there was one problem and the rule was you can't solve it the way you automatically think to do or follow the algorithm the way you were taught. You had to actually approach it from making sense of the problem using a visual model, because we're trying to get familiar with that. And after everyone was done, we said, all right, what's the answer? And I don't remember the exact problem, but I remember it was, it sounded something like this. Oh, I got 37. I got 985. I got 22. It was was all over the place. So we had to then say, we laughed. And it was, okay, what are we missing? So we, you know, dug into it and it was how we were interpreting the problem in the first place. We were all interpreting it different. So that's the other work that I do is uh, with CGI and approaching concepts through word problems because of that literacy background. I am obsessed with word problems and let's share stories, not problems and sense making. And using reading, oh, I don't know, reading strategies in math class since there are words, instead of telling them just ignore the words and pluck out the numbers, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. But it's because we think of reading and writing and then math over there. But if we did think about reading, writing, and mathing, then it would just make sense that automatically in math class, it's we just, you know, we are reading a story 
I, you know, made a pitch for creating a new genre of literature called math stories. But, you know, I don't know who I need to submit the proposal to. But I think if you just talked about it in that way, even if it's only a two sentence story at circle time during your literacy block, you share a math story that is based on something you read. Just it could just be woven so beautifully throughout the day, every day. And I know you all get that. Right. Well, I was going to say that's where we first met you was in California at the uh, NCTM conference. You came to Ashley in my uh, presentation about children's literature and mathematics. Um, And, and so what you're, when you, while you're talking about all this, what I'm thinking is so often I, I, when I'm in schools, I find that math time gets shortchanged, right? Like, well, I have my literacy block and it's 90 minutes or whatever it is, or two hours. And, and so, and I'll push math to the end of day or math just gets 45 minutes. And I'm always like, like you actually do reading and writing during math. So you need to give the time, a lot the time to math. And then you're doing some reading and writing within the math. Um, yes. So, so you are getting some reading and writing in there. So it is, it is kind of double dipping, but that's mm-hmm. really important, I think. Yeah. And the other thing that I did, I was in a responsive classroom school. So we had that mm. 30 minutes every morning. Yep. And something that I worked with the teachers on is that 30 minutes is about building community. You can bring math there. You and should bring the, that there. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and, you know, the games that you could do as we're doing mm-hmm. introductions and going around the circle and all of that, bring math there. Do a part of that, uh, the warming up, the inviting into the math conversation there so it feels normal for math to happen outside of the math time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Math we're, is relevant in our whole world. <laughs> at, at all learners, we call that a launch, right? And it's it's really mm-hmm. kind of a number sense routine is that we think of as the engine of it. But we think we think of launch as so much more important because it builds that community. It builds the inviting, you know, activity that everyone in your class, we mean everyone, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. engaging, right? And that, that develops that belonging. And then you're taking care of kids' well-being and kind of at that point, we have this full vehicle to kind of help kids make sense of math and, and feel included in the math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also that their ideas are honored and respected. Yes. Because even with incorrect answers, there is something there. And that mm-hmm. gets overlooked too often. And the other thing is, and it goes back to the comfort level of an elementary educator. And I keep going back to that because we send in reinforcements in middle school to fix things, but I, I am about, can we just not mess them up in the first place? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. You know, that would be amazing. Um, but with the younger ones, if you help them understand that their ideas matter mm-hmm. and you don't shut them down when they didn't do it the way you wanted them to, which I connect to if I am insecure as the teacher, and I don't understand the way you're explaining. I just want you to stop. No, 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 don't do that. Don't, no, 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 we're not, remember, we're doing it this way. Because I, if you ask me, does this work too? I really don't know. Like my fourth grade teacher, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure why. So in that moment, you shut them down. And I witnessed, we were doing walkthroughs at a school in Texas. And we were walking through and we were we were allowed to go and get next to the children and talk to them. And 
and just observe. And I saw this two different things. One little student had used addition to solve a subtraction problem. And he was so excited. But when the teacher went over the problem and she said, you had to subtract for this. And he kind of went like that. And they moved on. And he just put a big X on his paper. And I, things like that, just you had to use subtraction for this. The example I give is a missing add-in problem. Why in the world would we teach children this symbol means add? And then give a missing add-in problem and tell a child who used addition or counting up that they were incorrect because for this type of problem, you subtract. Like that was a standard thing that was taught. If it's a missing added problem, you take the answer and subtract whichever. No, you don't have to subtract. So the confusing messaging that puts a student in the position that they're questioning the thing that made sense. Like, well, I understood it the way I did it, but that's wrong. Ashamed, I'm broken. I'm thinking about this all wrong. Clearly math is not for me, shutting down. It it makes me think of something I saw. I don't know where I saw it. It, it might must have been on Twitter. And and someone said instead of we don't need to rehumanize mathematics, we need to stop dehumanizing. Yes. And those things you're talking about, like those are opportunities where because of uh, uh, the materials or because of a teacher action, we're dehumanizing certain mm -hmm. individuals. Um, and we just mm -hmm. need to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, that that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> that that would be awesome, actually. <laughs> and even and that's a part of like a mindful approach to mathematics. It is about humanizing the experience for students yeah. and helping them to see that it's a part of their everyday just moving and being in the space. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about kind of just the language of mathematics when we think about, um, you know, precision of our language as teachers. Um, mm -hmm. How, like, what do we need to do in our practice? And and when I say we, I mean all of us, you know, to focus on language that that doesn't create barriers for students, but it creates opportunities and pathways. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is to first acknowledge that mathematics has its own language that is something children need to learn. So when I think about support specifically for multilingual learners, we are intentional and we are helping them to acquire a new language and the support, it works if done well. And oftentimes once they excel, they exceed others who are speaking English their whole life. So if we could find a way to approach math language that way or academic English that way for all students, recognizing that all the students in elementary school are learning language. And mathematics, how do you learn language? I use my words that make sense to me. And you don't shame me for saying the incorrect term. You don't make me memorize the specific word and I can't even get my ideas out because you're interrupting me to say, remember, we need to say, remember, we need to say or use this language. Remember, that's called a forget it. I am not raising my hand because even in my stumbling through the language part of it, I had a really great mathematical idea I wanted to share. And now it's gone. I, either I lost it. I don't want to be bothered anymore 
or it's just my friends are laughing now. It's <laughs> just whatever it is. Again, the shutting down. But we need to let children communicate in the way that makes sense to them. And then be intentional about how we bring in the vocabulary. And when I was still in the classroom, when we had the chapters and the vocabulary at the beginning and all of those things, I probably could have gotten in trouble for doing it the way that I did. But we didn't look at the textbook. <laughs> we didn't look at the wordbook. I wrote problems. <laughs> I used CGI model and I wrote problems that I knew would get at the ideas that were coming up. We made sure they were understanding we were having a great time. And then I would say, okay, guys, we have to have a textbook day. And they're like, oh, like, you know the drill. We got to do it. So textbook days were days where we attach the language that matches the thing we already know. So we'd go through and it's like, all right, so, oh, gosh, the associative properties. And I'm like, whoa, that's a big word. And then we talk about what it is. Remember? So they're assigning words to something that they already understand. They weren't required to use it every single time, but you can remind them. I could use the language. I could also say the word they know and also say it my way, just, just like we teach languages. So acknowledging that it has its own language and then not forcing still students to prematurely adopt the language that is not what makes sense to them. So I, I think that answers your question. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And well, it, while you were talking, what it made me think about is teachers are professionals and are have degrees. Like we, yes. at some point we have to trust their judgment to be mm -hmm. able to take material. And, and if whatever program, you know, it, I think programs are helpful as a, as a, as a scaffold and as a way to make sure everyone is kind of somewhat on the same page and, and moving in the same direction. But, but ultimately, right. As professionals, we want teachers mm -hmm. to make decisions that are best for their kids. And if, if I'm looking at what's coming up in the program and it's, starting with here's the associative property boys and girls and, and others put it in your book and copy it down and i know if i teach it the way you just talked about it like that's what i want a teacher to do right but tj you know where we're going back to when i shared when people came and observed my classroom they saw the level of engagement they heard children using precise language because when we were talking about it, i wouldn't let you say my strategy was the number line. I'm sorry, strategy or tool. So they would start to correct one another. So we're using the language and they observe and they want to do it. Oh, can you drop the thing in the file, whatever you use? Uh, it's not that simple. So the work that's involved to be able to do that goes back to how do we support teachers? so that they are comfortable, so that they have content knowledge, so that they can confidently make the decisions that I made. So they would want to do what I did, but I couldn't go in the room and do it for them. And it wasn't as simple as just do these three things. Sometimes it was, let's plan together. I'll come into your classroom and do it, and then you can continue it. But I was reading, I was taking classes, I was doing that work that we can't assume we can just require all teachers to make time for that. So that's the tricky part. They need to follow, many of them need to follow a curriculum because if math is the thing you're avoiding, you're not spending your free time reading about how to do it better, to be quite honest. 
So well, part, part of it is that problem. Yeah. Part of it is building a culture in, in education where what I hear you talking about is you were honing your craft. You were really mm-hmm. not just happy staying where you are, but you are constantly reading new things, taking new classes, applying them, trying them out. Maybe they succeed, maybe they don't. But, but to me, that's like the, the definition, the embodiment of a learner, right? We're constantly right. trying to continuously improve. But what's offered at most schools in most districts, literacy training. Yes. And lots of options for workshops. And if you get to choose, because I design content now, and we had one offering that was for elementary educators, and you could choose ELA or math. And if we had 30 people, 20 would choose ELA and 10 would choose math. So we redesigned it. I, I pushed to redesign it so that they get both. If you're an elementary educator, you're not, you might not opt in again because of your own math anxiety, but it's what you need more. Uh, you know, is the math support, the math training. So how do we bring it to them in a way that they are, first of all, feel safe to be vulnerable and, and work through a thing that you don't understand or just recognize that it's really not that complicated, but you are, you're shutting down because of some Thing that you experienced in the past or some idea or misunderstanding that you have about the beautiful thing called mathematics that seems so far away, which is why I push for math or which is why I push for math for life is a thing. So you don't get to say, I don't do math or math is not for me. What are you going to ever budget? Are you going to <laughs> plan a vacation? Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not that, but like math, math. Okay, do you know how to tell time? Do you use recipes for cooking? But not that math, math. (laughs) So what I hear you saying is really what what schools and teachers need is more my mathematical mind and more all learners network and or right. Let's do that. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) I love and I love the feeling of being in a room with teachers. Who have an aha moment just like students would. Uh, That's one of my favorite things uh, when they, because I know they were it's able addictive. to relax enough. Yeah, yeah. I want to do it all the time, like all the time. Yeah. Um, but when they have that moment of making a connection, I think back to when I sat in that elective in my master's program and I was just like, oh my, oh, what? I remember the question. I remember one of my questions was when we were learning multi digit multiplication in fourth grade. So you put one zero, then you put two zeros, then you put three zeros, and you just keep doing that? And like, why does it work? What, what does that mean? Just follow the steps and you'll get the right answer. So it was in that methods, math methods course in my master's program that I actually found out why. That's, right. To me, that is crazy that we just mm-hmm. accept. I don't know. I mean, they just said follow the steps. The problem with that is if you forgot to bring down the zero and your answer was off by thousands, you didn't bother to notice that it was totally unreasonable because in your mind, well, I followed the steps. So the answer must be correct. Not, whoa, that's not, that doesn't make sense. That, that's not, what? How is that possible that these two numbers came up with an answer that's so small? So those types of things. 
are really important, not just for the students, but for the teachers. But I, I love, love, love working with teachers and coaches more than anything. I mean, of course, I still sneak and get some tutoring with kids. Oh, just yeah. Not, I don't, gotta get some kids. I don't time. even charge. It's like what keeps you going. Just, <laughs> yeah. Let's have our virtual session. And I have a confession. After your session, I may have ordered one of every grade level. <laughs> I love that. It just you dig in and, you know, experience it and try it out on the kids. And it just makes me so happy to think about. I've been pushing for leveraging literacy, for mathematical understanding, yes. for bridging the presentation. Yes, all of it. Just mm -hmm. all of it. And that's like, oh. Well, listen to, uh, we did, uh, John and I did a podcast last, in the second season of All Learners Math Talk with uh, Sue O'Connell. She came on. Mm. Uh, yeah, you should listen to that. Nice. Oh, I would definitely will. So, Deborah, if you were going to synthesize, what do you think it means or how would you describe what does it mean to be a mather? Mm. Okay, so definition, of course, is using math to make sense of the world. So if I'm a mather, first of all, I embrace using math in my everyday life as a part of my identity. And I know right now we're talking a lot about math identity, but to me in a perfect world with the mather mindset and reading, writing and mathing, we would be able to just think about academic identity, knowing that there's balance between those. And we wouldn't have to constantly say, we need to build math identity, we need to build, it would just be academic identity and it would just be just my identity, just who I believe I am, what I believe I can do. So a mather is someone who recognizes that they can solve problems and they can do hard things, you know, that they can face um, problems in the world and mathematics can sometimes help them with that. that and it's really that simple. Yes, I'm a mather, not because I'm taking some high-level math course. I don't stop being a mather. It can't be taken away from me. Like, once you're a reader, you're a reader. You can't, you know, no one says, ooh, you can't, you're not a reader anymore. You're kicked out. Right. But but a mather yeah. is just someone who holds on to it. for, and, and even when you make the mistakes, like all of those things, that you still have a relationship with mathematics, a positive relationship. With mathematics that that's what i would say i love that yeah deborah what um is there anything else that we did not ask you about or we kind of have to come to a close unfortunately but but what <laughs> what would you like to share that maybe you haven't had a chance to talk about well and the one thing that i would love to touch on just briefly as briefly as I can do it, because, yeah, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. Um, is we had spoken before, and you talked about teaching math for all learners, and then that play on words with if we were to partner and do something, what does it look like? You know, my interpretation and your interpretation, and that's what I would like to just kind of zoom in on, because I think that's a nice way to just sum it up. So what does it mean that we have math for all learners? And for me, first and foremost, it's about a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And earlier you said, what is the opposite of sense of belonging? And it is kind of like isolation, feeling excluded. And historically, math was exclusive. Mm -hmm. So the step we need to take 
is to create a community where it's safe to be vulnerable, take risks, explore mathematics, where curiosity is celebrated, but also where everyone is actually expected to be able to do mathematics. Yes. Yes. So, you know, there's no math gene. You did not inherit it from your mom or dad Mm -hmm. that you can't do math. So just dispelling that the myths of being a math person or not, um, using asset-based language to make sure that we acknowledge these things that are already there before we talk about what's not there. Mm -hmm. And then making it clear that there's no opting out of math. Darn it. (laughs) There's no exit strategy. I'm going to, ooh, after I take my math class, last math class that's required, I'm done with math forever for life. And I think right now, especially, I've been revisiting a lot of my work with mindfulness and yoga and, and, and you know, with all that's going on, with the anxiety and the depression on the rise in mm-hmm. such young children. And just, it's so much, it's overwhelming. So returning to that place of first making sure that the kids are all right. That the teachers are okay. And that yoga and mindfulness, when I brought it into the classroom, originally it was just about self-regulation, focus, and those types of things. But it ended up being paired with mathematics because I recognized no other subject brings anxiety like mathematics. Mm -hmm. But if we can help people see that mathematics is not just a subject to be taught, but an experience to be had, that we would change everything. But we gotta, we gotta put in the work. So I just, I, I, I hope that people recognize that everyone was designed to do math. We're all wired in nature. Math exists, and even students who historically were not allowed to do math, that they are capable. It's not that they ever weren't. And students who hold marginalized identities deserve to be there. Mm-hmm. So That's so beautiful. That's Thank you, awesome. Deborah. Uh, take this moment before we wrap to plug your shirts, because I'm wearing your math or shirt. <laughs> I have the readers, right? I think I have uh, one other that's not here. But if folks are interested, want a shirt, how do they, how do they mm-hmm. find this? Sure, they can go to mymathematicalmind.com. You can go there or to Layla's Curve. She's actually the amazing, amazing woman who does all the shirts. We have stickers and now we have classroom posters, jackets, all kinds of cool things. And it's a teaser and it's also a way to hold me accountable. (laughs) There's a picture book coming and my talented daughter, Scad Grad, is illustrating the covers already done the stories there we're working on it and it's called math it's not my jam but you know there's an x in the knot because by the end of the story it will be oh i love that i cannot wait to read it please keep us updated on the process and your uh, your website will be linked on our website with uh with this version of the podcast so exciting Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are definitely going to look for more conversations with you in the future. Uh, Remember, you can find a recording of our podcast at allearnersnetwork.com and on Spotify or Anchor. Just search the term ALN Math Talk, along with free resources like our high leverage concepts, high leverage assessments, high leverage progressions, 
high leverage t-shirts, belt buckles, and coffee mugs. Those are all John, made up by John Tapper, of course. Uh, <laughs> he says they're real when he does this. All Learners <laughs> Network Math Talk. ALN Math Talk is produced by the All Learners Network. All rights reserved. Executive producers, John, I was just thinking Tapper. And TJ, the designer, Jemison. That's me. Uh, spiritual and mathematical guidance has been provided by Robert Fly in the Water, Microbrew Stats Levin Laird, who reminds us that we'd probably be more successful if we just drew a freaking picture. Uh, our theme music was written and performed by the very talented Sarah Blair. Join us next time for more amazing discussions about interesting math topics and with fascinating education folks. Thank Thanks you. for having me.